Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc slash soap. Deuteronomy 25. If there's a dispute between men and they go to court and the judges decide their case and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be that the wicked man deserves to be beaten. The judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him 40 times, but no more, lest they beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother be degraded in your eyes. You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dog brother, that his name may be not blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He's not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders. Pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And in Israel, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. If two men, a man and his countrymen, are struggling together, and the wife of one comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him, and puts out her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. She shall not have mercy. You shall not have a bag differing in weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and just weight. You shall have a full and just measure, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly, is an abomination to the Lord our God. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked you, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, you shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies, and the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. Okay. Uh, as I'm looking at Deuteronomy 25, there's six specific commandments that the Lord gives 
uh, to the Israelites. And one beautiful promise at the end, and I love the promise. That's the, the one that's going to be the takeaway for me. Uh, but before we get into the promise, let's look at some of these commandments, okay? Uh, first one is verses 1 to 3. If there's a dispute between men and they go to court, okay, I mean, we can identify that. We obviously have a lot of court cases going on. People are disputing. Uh, to try to see if they're guilty or not. So if there's a dispute among men, they should go to the court and the judges decide their case. They shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So that's a big deal for the Lord. He wants just judges uh, that are going to do what's right. They're not going to be bribed. Uh, so he just says the, the responsibility of the judge when a case is brought before him is always to judge righteously. Uh, and then it says here, to expand on that too, then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, and from what we understand, uh, that would be with some kind of a rod on their back, okay? Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes according to his guilt. So it's interesting, uh, justice is to be served and justice will be done proportionally to the, the crime. If it was a little crime, few rod beats. Uh, if you've committed a larger crime, there'll be more beating. So extreme justice, I believe that God's trying to drive home. God is a just God and he will judge justly according to the seriousness of the sin. But it's interesting, and I think you'll see this theme all through the Bible, there's always a balancing between God's justice and his mercy and his grace. So if you've done wrong, you're going to be punished proportional to your crime, but there's a level of mercy simultaneously. Verse 3. He may beat him 40 times, but no more. And why is that the case? Lest he beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother be degraded in your eyes. In other words, <clears throat> even though somebody's done wrong, there's still a dignity uh, in regards to human life. Uh, somebody should not be treated inhumanely. Uh, they should be treated with justice but not just so beaten so that they, they look like um, a total catastrophe in their back. Justice, but still a preservation of a level of dignity so somebody is just not totally shredded by these beings. So number one, justice. Okay. Um, there's also, again, as I said, mercy. <clears throat> You shall not muzzle an ox while it's threshing. So oxes are basically muzzled. They're, they go around in circles. They beat out the grain. They do different things to help uh, the Israelites in regards to the ability to produce food. But it's saying even though you're muzzling an ox and they're working, cut them a break. In other words, let them eat. Don't muzzle them. Let them work. But as they're working, let them get some food as they're going around and working. So again, 
uh, even in an animal situation. Yes, there's justice, but be merciful and be compassionate simultaneously. It's not either or, it's a balance of both. Now, an interesting situation we come upon in verse five. When brothers live together and one of them dies, okay, a man dies, has no son, and the, the name is passed on not through the daughter, but through the son. And by the way, that's extremely important to the Jews. Very, very important that they have a male son because that's how literally the family line is perpetuated. And not to have that go forward for a Jew is not a good picture. So there's a husband and wife. The husband dies. There's no male son. It says, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. She does, doesn't remarry anybody. Her husband's brother shall go into her, i.e. have sex, and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. So basically, brother dies, another brother in the family is to have sexual intimacy with that dead brother's wife's get her pregnant, the child that comes really is the dead brother's, in a sense, family member. But, so that's what's supposed to be done. That's the command. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders. And that's kind of where, in a sense, an informal court usually took place there at the gate where the leaders, the elders would gather. So. If this brother's not one to do that for his brother, uh, she goes to the court and she says to the elders, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He's not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders, pull off his sandal, okay, she takes the sandal off that man and spits in his face, which is kind of saying like, you know what, you're a disgrace. You don't love your brother enough to make sure he has an heir to carry the family name. Shall spit in his face and shall declare, this is to be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And in Israel, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. Okay, that's interesting, but if this was really kind of cool in that this actually occurred in a specific instance in the Bible. Here's a command, but it's actually carried out, and uh, I could ask a quiz here, like anybody know where that is? It's in the book of Ruth. So let me give you a little background on this story. Uh in the story of Ruth, Ruth has a husband, and her husband dies. So that's not a good picture. Uh, she has two sons, and her two sons die. She's in trouble because now there will be no heir to carry on her name going into the future. Dead husband, dead sons. 
we in the story of Ruth, we see there's two daughter-in-laws. One of them is faithful, totally faithful, uh, totally, totally faithful uh, to Naomi. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth and Naomi come back from a foreign land. They come back to Israel. And then Ruth connects with a family member of Naomi. His name is Boaz. And I believe Naomi is really praying and trusting that somehow Boaz, because he's a relative, is going to take care of Ruth, give her a child, and when that occurs, the family name goes forward. Uh, and we actually see Boaz wants to do this, but he says, hey, I can't do this because there's somebody closer in the family than me. We got to check with him before I can do that for Ruth. And I'm just going to read just a little bit of this so you hear this story because it actually plays out this commandment. Uh, and this is in Ruth uh, chapter 4 1. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate, sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. Turn aside, friends, sit down. And he turned aside and sat down. So Boaz goes to the gate where like the, 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 the interaction of the elders are. And he says, hey, I want you to come and let's talk this out. Who's going to take care of Ruth? You, you have a better right because you're closer to her. But, but I want to do this. And he took 10 men. This is Boaz of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elamech. That's the man that died. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I'm after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So basically, this person is going to redeem the property, but not only redeem the property, but to be able to give Naomi the ability to have this line that goes on. Uh, okay, goes a little bit further, five. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, he's talking to this man, this the nearer relative, you must also require Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of her deceased on his inheritance. That's what we're talking about. The closest relative said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I jeopardize my own inheritance. In other words, I don't want to do this. I should, but I don't want to because I want to take care of my own self and my own finances. And he basically says <clears> to <throat> Boaz, redeem it for yourself, that you may have right of redemption, for I can't redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. So there it is. That's a played out illustration of Deuteronomy 25. Okay, uh, let's go a little bit further here. Third command is in verse 11 to 12. 
this, by the way, is a very interesting one. I read this. I said, oh, boy, what are we going to do with this one? If two men, a man and his countrymen, are struggling together, okay, two guys are having a fight, and the wife of the one comes to near to deliver her husband, so she comes upon the scene, sees her husband in this battle, <clears throat> and the wife basically doesn't want to see her husband beat off, so she does something in her husband's behalf. Um, the wife of one comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him and puts out her hand and seizes his genitals. Then you shall cut off her hand. You shall show no pity. Well, uh, what do you do with that one, folks? Uh, that's pretty interesting. I could see why the lady is trying to defend her husband. Nothing wrong with that. But in this case, she seizes the man's genitals. And I mean, there's a heavy duty justice here uh, because what's going to happen is her hand is going to be cut off. What do you do with that? From the way I understand it, with a little help from some commentaries, is the genitals represent life. Uh, and the fact that this lady touched that man's genitals probably destroyed his ability to reproduce. I think God's saying there's got to be judgment. You, 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 there, there's a level of respect, no matter what's going on, for that area of the body because it carries on life and it carries on, what do we say before, the family line. So there is, again, from God's point of view, justice because of their a lack of respect. Not wrong to defend your husband. That's fine. But you just don't do it that way. Okay. Number uh, five, command. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and a just weight. You shall have a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly, is an abomination to the Lord your God. Okay, God's saying here, we're talking about justice. When somebody's measuring out things in regards to maybe selling something or whatever, sometimes people would be dishonest and they would use a different weight, a smaller weight or a larger weight, depending on what was for their own benefit. Instead of using an equal weight, they would manipulate it so that they would come away and basically have more money at the bottom line. And God said, no way, no way, no way. Uh, and God's saying very much, he said, uh, if you go with me, then I'm going to bless you. In other words, he said, I'm going to prolong your days. And we're going to see in a little bit, I'm going to just jump here a minute. And just look a little bit ahead because I'm sure they're going to say it again, but it's worth laying out here to kind of get the ball rolling for down the road. God's saying, if you do what I tell you to do, if you obey me, in this case, if you use a just weight, then I will pour out a blessing upon you. And he talks about that, Deuteronomy 28. Let me give you a couple of verses here. Now it shall be, if you will diligently, here it is, obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all 
these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if conditionally you will obey the Lord your God. And he says, let me show you how beneficent I am. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of the herd and the young. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in. Blessed shall you when you go out. And then basically, verse 13, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall only be above. You shall not be underneath. If you will listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them. So God's saying here, specifically, if you do what I tell you to do, if you use just weights, I'm going to prolong your days and I'm going to pour a blessing out. On the other hand, God says, if you don't do that and you, you play games and you vary the weights to your own advantage, he says, you are an abomination to me. That's strong, strong words. You are an abomination to me. Abomination means basically um, that you are, uh, you're just kind of repulsive. And because you're repulsive, I have to judge that. I can't just ignore God is, God is holy. God is just. God can't contradict his own nature. If he's holy and just, he has to act that way, or he would contradict who he is. So he's saying, if you're going to use unjust weights, you're an abomination. And because of that, I must, I have no other option. I must then punish you. That's just the way it is. And uh, going back to Deuteronomy 28, I talked about if you obey, there'll be a blessing. If you disobey, get this. Deuteronomy 28, 15. But it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And he lays out, I give you some of them, 16. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herd and in the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, rebuke in all you undertake to do. Until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly on account of the evil, your deeds, because you've forsaken me. There again, God says it, obey me. And he's saying this not just to the Israelites back there. He's saying that to the church, to you and I today. If you obey me, I seek to bless you. Let me just say, again, this is very important. Uh, blessings don't mean that it's going to be a problem-free life. Even though you're obedient, you're still going to have problems. Every one of us, whether we are bad or good, will experience problems. That's just the way life is. God will use those for the believer to make us stronger in our faith, stronger in our character. Uh, but if we obey, God said, I want to bless you. But if you disobey, then you give me no other option. I must then punish you. So there is a universal law that goes from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible. And this law cannot be broken. It's just as strong as the law of gravity. You throw something in the air, it's going to come down. 
This law is unbreakable, and it's this. The Bible says this, what you sow, you will what? Reap. What you sow, you will reap. It will come back. It's like a boomerang. Throw it out there. And if you sow obedience, it's going to come back and bless you. On the other hand, if you're disobedient, you throw that boomerang out. It's going to get you, and it's going to curse you. <clears throat> so if we obey, I believe God wants us to have a sense of peace, a, a sense of joy, a sense of contentment. On the flip side, if we're disobedient, then I think God's saying, bottom line, you're going to be empty, miserable, and you're going to be anxious. Okay, so what do you want? Bottom line, what do we want in life? In a very real way, our choices determine our destiny. Our choices determine whether we are blessed or whether we're cursed. We can't point our finger to anybody else. Can't point the finger at God. The ball stops in our court. Will we do what God's asked or won't we? And we need to know there is consequences for what we do. So it behooves us, brothers and sisters, not just the Israelites back there. It behooves you and I to seek to be obedient to the Lord. To seek to be obedient to the Lord. Charles Stanley, <clears throat> I love him, great pastor, great teacher. Uh, I had a chance to see a kind of a, a video of his life. And one of his key statements in life was, seek to obey God and let the consequences be what they will. Seek to obey God and whatever happens, happens, but always seek to obey. And I want to say this, and I've said it many times, I want to just drive it home again. We seek to obey God, not primarily for the benefits. I want to be blessed, no doubt about it. But my obedience is not primarily, so I'm blessed. My obedience is primarily is because God loved me. And because he loved me, I want to love him back. And because I want to love him, I want to please him. And I don't want to hurt him. So obedience Ideally, is not a legalistic thing of rules. It's a relation. It's a relationship. Even Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Just the way a child, if they really love their parent, will seek to please the parent and not be a rebel. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sixth commandment. Number 1718. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Well, uh, the story is found in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. Uh, and going on a little bit, let me just give you a little quickie of this. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rapidim. And it basically, it says this, uh, verse 11. So it came about when Moses held up his hand and Israel prevailed. When he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. And it goes at the end here. Uh, so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial. 
recited to Joshua that I will utterly, here it is, I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. So story is, Israel is just going through to try to get to the promised land. The Amalekites, for no reason, pick a quarrel with the Israelites. For no reason. They just give them a hard time. And a lot of they give them a hard time. It says uh, in Deuteronomy, when they were faint and weary, they should have helped them. But instead of helping them, they just went against them and gave them a hard time. There was a battle. And it's is interesting, uh, just a side note, in that battle, uh, it says that Moses went up on a mountain and he lifted his hands up. And as long as he lifted his hands up, the Israelites were beating the Amalekites. When he lifted his hands down, the Amalekites began to, to win. And one of the themes, and I think we talked about that way back when we were in Exodus, that when Moses lifted his hands up, that was a symbol of prayer. He's lifting his hands up, basically saying, God, win the battle for us. But whenever he let his hands come down, Israel began to be defeated. And the takeaway from that story is, man, we need to pray. Because when we pray, God gets into the action. And when God gets into the action, things can begin to change in a very positive way. Maybe not as quickly as we would like, but it's a story of prayer and Jesus is very clear. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find, knock, and the door will be opened. So as long as Moses prayed, and, and he got weary, and then Aaron and her actually helped lift his hands, uh, and there was a, a winning battle. So in regards to this situation with Amalek, uh, he said, Amalek had an issue here. Uh, verse 18, they did not fear God. And fear, uh, what's that mean? And they should have had fear because they're messing with the chosen people of God, the Jews. God said, I'm going to bless the Jews. And if you fight against them, you're in trouble, Amalekites. So they had no fear of God. And I don't think the fear of God biblically is so much that we're fearful that God's going to send a lightning bolt and we're trembling because we're at any moment going to be uh, exonerated, uh, basically. I, I don't believe it's a, a fear of anxiety. It's basically a healthy respect that God is God and we're not. It's a healthy respect that he's a holy God and he's a just God, as we've been seeing all the way through here, uh, and he should be obeyed. And God basically said there's going to be justice. The Malachites, you should not have done that. And because of that, instead of helping Israel, you came against them. I'm going to blot out the Amalekites because justice needs to be done. So there we are. There's basically, uh, let me see, one, two, three, six commandments. But here's the one I want to end with. I love the promise. Okay, he said here, verse 17, remember what Amalekite did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt? How he met you along the way, attacked you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God shall give you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So God made a promise to Israel. He said, when you get in the promised land, I will give you rest from all your enemies. 
And in a sense, that's a tremendous picture. They're in the promised land. They're experiencing the blessing. They're experiencing the peace. They're experiencing the joy. They're experiencing the victory. That picture of rest really uh, is a picture of the way we are to live our life as Christians. Okay. Uh, and here's the takeaway. God wanted Israel to rest. So he said on the seventh day, I want you to rest. Keep the Sabbath. Back then, in our day, the world is hectic. There's so many things to do on the to-do list. And we're working and we're striving to do this and that and all. I mean, we get like a hamster on a wheel. And God said to the Israelites back then, no, 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 no. you got to take a day to recoup. You've got to take a day to recharge your battery, spiritually speaking. That's an Old Testament picture. Into the New Testament, God says, yeah, not only is there a Sabbath day, I want you to live in a state of Sabbath rest. Get that. God's saying to you and I as Christians, it's not just a one-day deal. You are to live in a state of rest. You're to live in a state of not striving to live the Christian life, but resting in Jesus so that he can live his life through you, through the Holy Spirit. So many people, I think, see Christianity as, okay, here's the standard. Here's what Jesus looks like, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to struggle today to be a good Christian. And I'm going to struggle to keep all the commandments. And it's try, 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 try. And we get just tired of trying so hard to be like Jesus. That is not the Christian life from a New Testament perspective. It's not trying to be like Jesus. It's trusting in the Jesus that lives in you to live his life through you. Let me say it again. The Christian life is not struggling to be like Christ in my abilities and my efforts. It's resting in the fact that Jesus lives in me, and I invite him to live his life through me. So it's not try, it's trust in Christ that's in me. Uh, and some of my favorite chapters in the Bible are in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. It talks about not just a day of Sabbath, it's living in a Sabbath. That sounds pretty um, enjoyable to me. And I'm sure trying to do that, try, uh, I'm trying to rest that the Lord can live through me. I'm trying to remind myself, no matter how much going on, I'm to live in a more of a vacation mode in my head. Joyce Meyer, I read a devotion the other day, and she, she gave a picture, if you've ever been to Disney World or some of these parks, when you're in an inner tube and you're just floating around, you're just floating around in this like inner tube. You're not struggling, you're not trying to swim, you're just kind of sitting there in the inner tube and letting the, the, the current go around and push you. And it's really a picture of not us striving to be Christians, it's resting in Jesus to let him do what he wants in us and through us. It says this in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, and let me get it here, verse 12. It says, take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and failing 
and falling away from the living God. It says, verse 19 on chapter 3, and so we see that they were not, Israelites, able to enter because of what? Unbelief. But here we are, Hebrews 4, 1 to 3. Therefore, let us fear lest while promise remains of entering his rest, God's rest. You know, God's not all stressed out. God's a very restful personality. And it says we're to enter into his rest in our heads. That's the way we're to think. While a promise remains of entering his rest, that any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we had good news preached to us, just as they did, the Israelites. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. So, folks, there it is. You and I are given the privilege of entering the rest of Jesus Trusting that he lives in us through the Holy Spirit, trusting that he's going to lead us and guide us through today, trusting that he's going to supply our needs, trusting that whatever is necessary, whatever wisdom we need will be downloaded when we need it. Uh, it's just trust instead of try. So it would be my prayer. Uh, that each of us could enter the rest. The Israelites got that when they entered the promised land. The promised land for us, guess what? It's not a piece of ground. It's Jesus. And he lives in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we rest in him, even though we got a lot of work to do today, you're going to have things you got to do. I got to do stuff. But in a sense, I can work from a vacation mode because it's Jesus in me that's responsible to live the life through me, okay? I know that it sounds like theology, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit would take that concept from the head to the heart. So if you want to look at Hebrews 3 and 4 again, uh, they're just powerful chapters of what can happen in the Christian life. So let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we know there's uh, a number of uh, uh, commandments here given in Deuteronomy 25. And there's more commandments through the entire Bible. Uh, but you said the entire Bible, all the commandments are summed up in only two, to love you with our whole heart and to love others as we love ourselves. So, Lord, I just pray that you would give us obedient hearts. Uh, and, Lord, to be obedient, not because of a list of rules or for fear of a lightning bolt, but, Lord, to obey you because we love you. And because we love you, we want to bring you pleasure. And Lord, talking about pleasure, Lord, you've, you've offered us the ability to enter into your rest. So I pray for each of my brothers and sisters individually, Lord. I pray, uh, Lord, that you would show us, teach us how to live in a state of rest, not in a state of commotion, in a state of striving, in a state of frustration. Uh, but Lord, by your grace, help us to enter your rest that you live in every moment of every day. So thank you, Lord. Help us to be a blessing to someone else today through the power of your spirit. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Great seeing you all on the screen here. And may you walk in the peace, the love, and the rest of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>